I'd like to welcome each of you to our seminar this afternoon, Understanding the Three Angels' Message. And with us this afternoon, we have Dr. Clinton Walleen. And Clinton, uh, Dr. Walleen is joining us here uh, to share with us the message, uh, the Three Angels' Message, Justification by Faith. And uh, Dr. Walleen, we'd like to welcome you here with us uh this afternoon and are very grateful uh, that you were willing to share with us so with that i would like to just make an introduction here and uh, we apologize for starting a little bit late here i would just like to take a moment to explain a little bit about how the platform uh, that we're using here works uh, in the platform you'll see that we have um, the opportunity to participate in chats. So there's a chat section at the bottom, uh, depending on whether you're looking on a mobile phone or a computer, uh, there'll be a chat section and there'll also be a polls uh, option for us to have a poll question that you will be able to answer uh, as we go through the seminar here. I would just like to uh, tell you a little bit about Dr. Walleen. Uh, he is an associate director at the Biblical Research Institute. He has pastored for seven years in Northern California, where he was converted from atheism. Dr. Walleen received his PhD in New Testament from Cambridge University, taught New Testament for 11 years, and has published numerous articles and several books. Dr. Walleen has completed his thesis at Andrews University on the topic of Adventist history and has published writings on this topic. He and his wife, Gina, have two children, a daughter-in-law, and two grandsons. So uh, before we begin here, Dr. Walleen, I would just like to ask that we uh, just have a moment of prayer here. Okay. Heavenly Father, we're just grateful for the opportunity that we have to join together here uh, to learn more about justification by faith and the three angels' messages. We're thankful for Dr. Walleen's willingness to share with us, and Lord, we just pray that our hearts would be open to learn more about the message that uh, we are privileged to be able to hear. And so I pray that as we spend this time together, that your Holy Spirit would convict our hearts and that we would be led to action as we listen. And so we ask that you'd guide our time now in your name. Amen. Amen. Dr. Walleen, the time is yours. Thank you, Curtis. It's so good to be here, and I'm happy to have the opportunity to present this topic, Justification by Faith in the Three Angels' Messages. And this is, um, been, as was mentioned, I did my uh, master's thesis at Andrews in the area of Adventist history, in particular in this area. So I'm happy that I can share on this topic. Um, I'll start sharing my screen now so you can see. Uh, some slides that I've prepared. And I was looking forward to seeing you face to face for this seminar, but perhaps we can have an even better experience because there are some things we can do, as Curtis mentioned, that we can't do maybe so easily in the person. Like we will have the four poles scattered at strategic points through the presentation. Um, there's a special gift that I have for you at the end. And there will also be some time for questions after we're finished. So uh, let's get started. I'm excited about uh, what we have to share here. Um, I think it would be helpful right at the beginning to read the three angels' messages. Sometimes the familiar uh, obscures our eyes to what we know so well. And there may be some new thoughts that come to mind as we think of the message and look for the message of justification by faith here. And then we'll have our first poll question. So. Uh, beginning with Revelation 14, verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. And another angel saying, followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen that great city, because she has made all nations drink the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast 
and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand. He himself shall also drink the wine of the wrath of God, which has poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast in his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and faith of Jesus. All right, uh, now let's have our first poll question. I think Curtis will introduce that for us. It is, where is justification by faith in the three angels' messages? Where is it? We've read it. Now we get a chance to respond to where it might be. Yes, so on your screens, you should see a poll. Uh, the poll question, again, is where is justification by faith in the three angels' message? And we have five options there. And if you can select one of those options and... Uh, We'll give you about 30 seconds to do that, and then we'll share the results of the poll here with you guys. Where is justification by faith in the three angels' messages? So choice A, is it in the everlasting gospel of verse 6? B, in the judgment of verse 7? C, in the fall of Babylon of verse 8? D, in keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus in verse 12, or E, all of the above. All right, so if everybody can take a chance to answer that poll question. And I'm going to just close it now. And we had uh, the majority of people answering all of the above. We had uh, some of our participants also answering uh, option four in the keeping of the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus in verse 12. All right. Well, I think we have a pretty bright group here. I'm happy about that. Um, yes, answer E, all of the above is correct. And we will go through and see that as we look more carefully at Revelation 14. And there are 10 key points that we will see through this seminar. But before we get there, I'd like for us at the beginning to consider briefly a very important passage closely related to our topic. It's found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So scoffers in the last days will ask this question, where is the promise of his coming? And it's a very serious question, and it's given a serious answer later in the chapter. I know this very well because as a teenager, I used to be one of those scoffers. I think Curtis mentioned uh, in my, I used to be an atheist. And in Northern California, I came to know God and the Bible and Jesus as my savior. And it was the message of justification by faith that did it. And it's also found here. Um, what amazed me then and still remarkable to me is that God has so clearly described the condition of our world in this passage. We don't have a lot of time to look at the whole passage. So we'll just focus on the answer to the question where is the promise of his coming? And as to the timing of the second coming, it's given in verses 8 through 12. And it's in three parts. And in verse 8, it says, With the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. In other words, God's time frame is not ours. Verse 9 the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So answer two to this question, where is the promise of his coming? God is long-suffering. And three, verses 10 through 12, 
Since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? So in other words, uh, not only is God's time frame not ours and God is long suffering, but God's timing is related to our response. So the timing of the second coming is related to all three of these factors. This world and its evil works are going to be burned up, so we must focus on what will last and prepare us for heaven, which is a Christ-like character. And that is why the everlasting gospel of Revelation 14 centers on the message of justification by faith. Because through it, through this message, God produces a people, and it's God's work, he produces a people who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. First, we will consider the big picture of the gospel in Revelation. Before we briefly, uh, we'll look at that briefly before we zoom in on Revelation chapter 14. So let's, let's look at three key references to justify, justification by faith in the gospel uh, in the book of Revelation. Number one is the message to Laodicea. Number two, Revelation 10, verses 6 and 7. And number three, in Revelation 14, verse 6. So, um, the message to Laodicea, I think many of us are familiar with. It corresponds to our time of the seven churches. We are the last church, the church living just before Jesus comes. And we are counseled to buy gold refined in the fire, which symbolizes faith and love. White garments, which symbolizes the righteousness of Christ. And ISAF, which symbolizes the gift of the Holy Spirit. Evangelism, page 299, says that this is our great need, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Revelation chapter 10, there is a prediction that there would be time no longer. Let's read it. That there should be time no longer, but in the days of the voice of the seven angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. The word declared there in Greek is euangelism, which means to proclaim or declare good news. So there would be time no longer, that is, the long prophetic time periods of Daniel would be fulfilled, and this good news would be proclaimed, the good news that the mystery of God will soon be finished, that the time for Christ's return is drawing near. And of course, this proclamation began to be fulfilled in the Second Advent Movement, sometimes called the Second Awakening Movement of the 1840s. Revelation chapter 14, of course, is the third reference to the everlasting gospel um, in Revelation, the good news. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Now, these, uh, this third reference, the gospel is actually mentioned twice in Greek in this verse. Having the everlasting gospel or good news, the Greek word is euangelion, so to have everlasting good news. And the word to preach is euangelisai, which is the same word we saw in Revelation 10, to proclaim or declare good news to those who dwell on the earth. So really this verse could be translated, having the everlasting good news to proclaim good news to those who dwell on the earth. And the everlasting gospel is just that. It's everlasting, it's unchangeable, because God never changes. He says, of course, in Malachi 3, verse 6, I am the Lord, I do not change. The gospel of Revelation 14 is the same gospel that Paul preached then, and that Abraham believed, because it is the gospel of God. That's what Paul says right at the beginning of his letter to the Romans, Romans 1, verse 1. So when it comes to the message of justification by faith, it's important to keep in mind really what is my favorite verse in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 2. 
it says, and if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. And we know nothing yet on any topic because the Bible is deep. It's God's wisdom. We may think we know justification by faith backwards and forwards, but if we look deeply into God's word, we'll find insights we never saw before. So poll question number two, what is the gospel? All right, so our second poll question here has just been launched. So if you would weigh in on the question, what is the gospel? So we have five answers there. Dr. Walleen, if you'd want to just walk through the five answers. I'd be happy to. Them. Okay, what is the gospel? Is it justification by faith alone? Is it justification and sanctification? Is it faith balanced by works? That's point C. Is it D, faith in Jesus, or E, none of the above? All right, so we have the options there. In your, If you're wondering what it is we're even talking about here with the poll question, if you go down uh, in your, uh, if you're on a mobile device, if you scroll down, you'll see there's the option for chat or poll. Just click on the poll button and you'll have the option to select from the five answers there. And so if you would want to do that now. And we'll just give a couple more seconds here for you to put in your answer and we'll close the, the poll here. While we're waiting, I'd just like to remind you that there'll be an opportunity at the end of this seminar for you to share any questions that you might have. Uh, we'll have a question and answer for about the last 10 or 15 minutes of this seminar. So if you can just be thinking of any questions you'd like to ask, uh, we'll give you an opportunity at the end to be posting those questions in the chat. Uh, you have the option for chat and poll at the bottom of your screen or beside your screen. And so uh, just keep that in mind as well. All right, we're going to close the poll here. And let's see what the results were. Well, we have a mixed mixed uh, group of responses here, as you can see. Uh, we have uh, a couple uh, answering positive to number one. Uh, some, uh, the majority actually, uh, the second answer, justification and sanctification. Uh, we have one uh, answer for the third and uh, three for the, the last two each. And so it looks like we need you to uh, share a little bit more with us, Dr. Walling, on this. Right. Thank you very much, Curtis. Uh, yes, uh, this is um, the correct answer would be B, justification and sanctification. Let's just go right in very quickly. We'll just sort of briefly look at Romans 3 through 8, which is where Paul gives us the gospel in detail. All are under the condemnation of the law, chapter 3, verse 19. No one can be justified by the law, chapter 3, verse 20. Verse 21, 22, justification is only through faith in Jesus Christ, who is the means of atonement or at one -ment, verse 25. And the purpose, Paul says, for this is to demonstrate his, that is, that God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, to demonstrate his righteousness, that he, that he might be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. The word for righteousness here, uh, now let's go to Romans 8, verse 3 and 4. It's the same word, dikaiosune, what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So the, the word righteousness there is the same as in Romans 3 that we looked at. It's God's righteousness. It's not our righteousness, but it is the righteousness of the law. It's, it's the righteousness defined by the law. And here it says it is fulfilled in us. Um, the word actually um, in this text uh, in Romans 8 is dikaiomata, righteous. We could translate righteous deeds or righteous acts. It's the same word used in Revelation chapter 19, verse 8. Uh, to her, that is to Christ's bride, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts 
of the saints. Notice how the fine linen, Christ's robe of righteousness, is defined here. It's defined as our righteous acts, the righteous acts of God's people. But notice also that it's granted us. It's given to us. It's not something we manufacture. It's, it was granted her to be arrayed in fine linen. It is God's righteousness, God's law written in our hearts that makes it possible for our works to be righteous acts. That's only possible, of course, with a new heart. This gospel, uh, as we mentioned at the beginning of Romans 1 verse 1, it's, it's the gospel of God. It's the gospel from God. It's his message revealed through Jesus, who revealed it to John in the message of the book of Revelation. So when we read the book of Revelation, it's it's really a message of the gospel as well. The message of justification by faith is also a present reality because it is by faith. It is the way I accept uh, the gospel is through faith. It's not just about something that happened 2,000 years ago. It is also what happens now when I believe in what happened 2,000 years ago. Faith makes Christ's death real for me. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. It's the way I accept his death as mine. When I was baptized, figuratively speaking, I died with Christ and rose with him to newness of life. By faith, I received his forgiveness and a new heart. So let's look at these three messages now in Revelation 14 in detail, point by point, and ask ourselves, where is justification by faith? It underlies every part of these messages and is crucial for us to understand, receive, and proclaim this message fully in order to fully reveal God's character. So let's look at the first angel's message. It begins, of course, fear God. And fear God means to know God and to receive his forgiving, justifying grace. Notice Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So fear of the Lord is a knowledge of the Lord, knowledge of the Holy One. And uh, notice Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I like that. There is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. So to fear God means to know him and receive his gift of forgiveness. Notice Jeremiah 32, 39 and 40, how it puts it together. Then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. So he will put his fear in our hearts. What, what does that mean, this everlasting covenant? Well, we know that in Jeremiah 31, it talks about a new covenant Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Why is there a need for a new covenant? He, he explains, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. You see, so to fear God is to know him, to know him is to love him, to receive forgiveness of our sins and the gift of a new heart that is willing to follow and obey him. Only when we know God 
do we realize our need of justification. We also realize our need of forgiveness and a new heart so that we can live in harmony with his law. So fear God is followed by the uh, command, give glory to him. What does that mean? I like how it's put in Psalm 115, verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. Giving glory to God means that he alone is worthy of worship and praise in view of his saving and justifying grace. Everything we need and are comes from him. Notice the statement in Review and Herald, September 4th, 1888. God will work through humble men who love and fear him and who will not ascribe the glory to themselves, but will give all the praise of their being a light in the world to the source of all light. To give glory to God means to recognize that he is the source of light and life. It is his mercy and truth that saves us. So poll question number three. We come to the hour of God's judgment in the first angel's message. What does the hour of God's judgment refer to? Okay, so we've just released the poll there for you to uh, give your answer. The question again, what does the hour of God's judgment refer to? And so we have uh, five different options there. If you would be able to read them, Dr. Walleen. Okay. Uh, A, God's judgment of himself. Is that what the hour of God's judgment refers to? God's judgment of himself. B, our judgment of God. C, Jesus' work of judgment that began in 1844. D, our justification. Or E, all of the above. What does the hour of God's judgment refer to? God's judgment of himself, our judgment of God, Jesus' work of judgment that began in 1844, our justification, or E, all of the above? Okay, so we've got the poll open now. Uh, we realize there's been a little bit of a delay between the time that the polls made available and the time that you actually hear the instructions just with the live stream delay. So I'm going to leave it open just a little bit longer here so that you have time to uh, put in your answer. And then uh, we'll share the results here before we move on. Anything you'd like to expound on, Dr. Walleen, while we just give it another minute here? Well, just... Carefully think of each choice. A is the hour of God's judgment, God's judgment of himself. So God uh, judging himself or justifying himself. B, our judgment of God or justification of God. C, Jesus' work of judgment that began in 1844. D, our justification or E, all of the above. Okay. All right. So I'm going to just close the poll here and we'll share the results. All right, so we have uh, the majority of people answering uh, Jesus' work of judgment that began in 1844. Uh, we had most people answer to that one. We had a few also select all of the above and a couple of others there as well. Okay. Well, the correct answer, of course, is C, Jesus' work of judgment that began in 1844. Um, so the hour of God's judgment, the hour of his judgment is come. This announcement shows that evil will have an end, that God will not tolerate it forever in his universe. Notice the use of judgment. The Hebrew word is mishpat uh, in Genesis 18, verse 25. I think this sheds some light on its use in Revelation 14. Abraham is speaking. He, you might remember when God revealed to Abraham that he was going to destroy Sodom and, and uh, um, you know, uh, Abraham pled with God because Lot and his family were there. He said, far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right, mishpat, or 
do what is just, what is right. Uh, and the word judge there is also some uh, related to mishpat. Uh, it's the same, same um, root in Hebrew. So shall not all the judge do right or, or do right judgment, we could say. Abraham's plea for the salvation of some in Sodom was earnest and prolonged. He, he, he asked God for mercy. And I would like to ask ourselves the question, do we like Abraham care about the salvation of God's lost sheep who are in spiritual Babylon and about ready to perish by fire as Sodom did? What is our attitude toward God's lost sheep in spiritual Babylon? Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. Revelation 15, 3 and 4. Ultimately, in the end, we will, uh, this is the song of Moses and the Lamb, as, as Elder Finley presented last night in a beautiful message that uh, introduced us well to this topic today, that God will do right. And as we look back on his judgments, we will see that all his decisions are always just and right. And so fearing God and giving glory to him and God's judgment are all linked together. When we fear God, we know him as our savior. We receive forgiveness and a new heart. We give glory to him for justifying us by faith. And how is this linked with God's judgment? Well, our experience of justification by faith now anticipates final justification in the judgment. It declares in advance what will occur. It's God's declaration in advance of what will occur as a result of this final phase of atonement that God's people will receive final vindication, final uh, judgment of acquittal and be at one with him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that for yourself? If we believe that and we continue to believe that by allowing God's work in our lives, then we already know our verdict in the judgment. Our being justified now means that we will be justified then. Notice uh, this statement um, from the Spirit of Prophecy. She uses uh, Exodus 28, 29 in a very interesting way because it, it uses, again, this word mishpat, judgment, and is connected with the work of the high priest on the Day of Atonement. She says, the Lord's direction was, Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart when he goeth in unto the holy place, the sanctuary, for memorial before the Lord continually. So Christ, the statement continues, the great high priest pleading his blood before the Father in the sinner's behalf bears upon his heart the name of every repentant, believing soul. We are on his heart as he's pleading uh, his blood before the Father, as he's justifying us through his grace and power. He bears on his heart the name of every repentant, believing soul, repentance and faith. Worship him that made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters. Points to the Sabbath, of course, which symbolizes resting from our works to save ourselves and placing our faith in God as the only one who can save us. Notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 9 to 11, there remains therefore rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his, that is God's rest, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So actually keeping the Sabbath is the most Christian thing we can do because it symbolizes our rest from our own works to save ourselves and place in our faith in God and his righteousness as the only 
way of salvation. We'll come back to that in connection with the message of the third angel. The second angel said, of course, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And this shows that by rejecting the everlasting gospel of Revelation 14 and not uniting with the remnant who keep God's commandments, Babylon has refused the genuine gift of justification by faith. Because true justification by faith not only forgives our sins and changes our heart, but it brings us into harmony. It fulfills the righteous deeds or righteous acts of the law are fulfilled in us. And that's God's work that we accept through faith. Ironically, those who have a lot to say about Christ's work for us don't have much to say about Christ's work in us. They seem to separate justification and sanctification as if sanctification were more of a human enterprise, never perfect, always faulty, because it's our work more than God's. But according to the Bible, it's all God's work from start to finish, because it's by faith from start to finish. True justification by faith brings us into harmony with the law. It's God's work that we accept through faith. The second angel's message sifts God's people, leading many in Babylon to realize their danger and flee. Notice Jeremiah 51, 9, we would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her and let us go everyone to his own country, for her judgment reaches to heaven and is lifted up to the skies. And in the uh, adult Bible study guide that we recently had last year on the book of Revelation, it says the wine of Babylon refers to the false teachings and false gospel offered by this apostate religious system. Intoxicated people cannot think clearly. Intoxicated people cannot think clearly. It is all God's work. Notice Romans 1, 16, 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Notice uh, the bottom, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Philippians 2, verse 13. It is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, verse 24 says, who also will do it. And of course, Jude 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Notice throughout, it's God's work, not ours. The third angel warns us against worship of the beast and his image because it is that system that unfits us actually for living in the presence of God. It is because the gift of justification by faith was rejected. And so we see in the worship of the beast and his image a contrast from the first angel's message, which presented true worship. Worship him who made heaven, the earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters. This is true worship of God. And here we have false worship, false gospel. The result of the, these three angels' messages is uh, producing a result of a group who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And these two always belong together. The commandments really are a transcript or a picture of God's character that's to be displayed through those who have unwavering faith in him, the faith of Jesus. This is the way by which the remnants show God's character to the world because Jesus is so close to them. Jesus is present living in them. Let's just look at briefly at how these, the keeping the commandments and the reference to the law is throughout this uh, section, the central section, Revelation. Um, it begins with 11, Revelation eleven nineteen, with the temple of God was opened in heaven and the Ark of his covenant, which of course were the 10 commandments were kept was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and an earthquake. 
In Revelation 12, 17, the dragon was enraged with the woman. He went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So this is the uh, uh, climax of church history. And then uh, the climax of earth's history is found in Revelation 14, 12. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. The commandments are a picture of God's character, which is to be displayed through God's last day people, pictured in this final verse of the three angels' messages. They have faith in Jesus and the faith of Jesus, unwavering, unwavering faith in him because they know him, because Jesus is in their hearts. God's character is revealed to the world through them. Point number five, the message of justification by faith produces a people who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. This group lives to see Jesus. They are the 144,000 who name, have the name of the Father and the Lamb. We heard about that last night. Number six, keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus go together. One cannot exist without the other. Just as faith without works is dead, so works without faith are called dead works. It's impossible to keep the commandments of God without the faith of Jesus. One cannot have the faith of Jesus and not keep the commandments. Galatians 2 verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me, and gave himself for me. Number seven, the faith of this group is persevering faith, faith that endures anything Satan may throw against them because they trust implicitly in God. The word patience in Revelation 14, 12, hupomene, refers to a faith that endures test and trial. It lasts like the gold refined by fire. The saints refer to, it means holy ones literally in Greek, refers to those who belong to God. Not that they have already attained to some special state of holiness. That comes later when they're translated and given the finishing touch of immortality. Ellen White describes it this way. Here, are they, here they stand and the finishing touch of immortality is put upon them and they go up to meet their Lord in the air. So, poll question number four, the last one. When will Jesus return? When will Jesus return? All right, so that poll question is launched now. And we have uh, the question again is, when will Jesus return? And we have five different answers to choose from there. Notice the, the five possibilities. When will Jesus return? When the gospel is preached to the whole world? When his people are ready to meet him? Choice B. C, after the mark of the beast is in force. D, when the earth is lightened with God's glory. Or E, all of the above. Okay, okay, we'll just, Jesus return. All right. Let's give it a just another minute there. Just a reminder as well uh, that we have the opportunity for a few questions and answers here at the end. We've already got a couple questions people have posted, and uh, we'll allow time for about uh, 10 or 15 minutes of questions here as we wrap up our time together. So. I'm Our looking last... forward to the questions. I'll look forward to hearing yes. who we are and doing my best to answer them with the scripture. So uh, just in preparation for that, Dr. Walleen, you may want to just look up Romans 3, 3, and 4, just so you have that handy if you have a Bible there. Yes, I do. All right. I'm going to close the poll here so we can see the results. Okay. So we have... The poll results here, and we had the majority of people answer number 12, all of the above. 
Okay, all of the above. That's right. Yes, all of the above. Okay. Very Excellent. good. <laughs> all right, so let's move on. Uh, point eight, this message of justification by faith in the context of the end time is the most important and relevant message because it prepares people for Jesus' return. Right after the three angels' messages, we have a picture of the harvest, of the coming of Jesus. And it's the very next event then, right after the giving of these messages. There are two harvests pictured. The first one, the harvest of grain, which represents the righteous. And uh, it says, if, if we would look at, at uh, that verse 15 carefully, Revelation 14, verse 15, it says that uh, uh, the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. The word there, uh, exerante, means fully ripe, fully ripe. And then the second harvest, the harvest of grapes, refers, of course, to the harvest of the wicked who are crushed in the winepress of God's wrath. And this message separates the people of God into two groups. Uh, and we are now, even now, preparing ourselves to be in one group or the other. Notice Ellen White's statement in The Great Controversy, page 608, how that preparation takes place. As the storm approaches, a large class who have professed faith in the third angel's message. So these are Seventh-day Adventists. They've professed faith in the third angel's message, but have not been sanctified through obedience to the truth abandon their position and join the ranks of the opposition. Now notice how they prepare themselves for that step to abandon the truth. By uniting with the world and partaking of its spirit, they have come to view matters in nearly the same light. Not exactly the same, but in nearly the same light. And when the test is brought, they are prepared to choose the easy popular side men of talent and pleasing address who once rejoiced in the truth employ their powers to deceive and mislead souls a very another very interesting glimpse that we have of this time in which we're living comes through the spirit of prophecy in the sense of satan's war room strategy we're actually the the curtain is drawn back and we hear satan's plans for deceiving God's people. Notice what he says. Through those that have a form of godliness, but know not the power, we can gain many who would otherwise do us harm. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God will be our most effective helpers. Those of this class who are apt and intelligent will serve as decoys to draw others into our snares. Many will not fear their influence because they profess the same faith. The statement continues, we will thus lead them, Satan says, to conclude that the requirements of Christ are less strict than they once believed, and that by conformity to the world, they would exert a greater influence with worldlings. Thus they will separate from Christ, then they will have no strength to resist our power and ere long, they will be ready to ridicule their former zeal and devotion. Testimonies to Ministers, page 474. It's a sobering statement. How are we preparing ourselves? For what side, which harvest are we preparing ourselves? Number nine, the group who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus is also described in Revelation 18 as giving the loud cry and lightening the earth with the glory of God, his truth and character. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. This group takes seriously Jesus' words, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. They share the light of God's word with others, and their life matches their profession. Notice this fearful warning about the importance of sharing what we know. 
The parable which our Lord has given, condemning the faithless servant who hid his Lord's money, that's of course the parable of the talents, condemns every member of the church who is not making the right use of his ability to communicate light and truth to others. Those who do not let the light which God has given them shine upon the darkened pathway of others are traitors to their Lord and a burden to the church. They make it manifest that they do not care for the salvation of others, but only for themselves. Those who have had precious opportunities and privileges and who possess talents which they will not use in the service of God will finally lay them all at the feet of Satan to be employed as he shall direct. They will become receptacles of darkness of whom it is written, if the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. Point 10 and last point, ultimately this message the light of Christ's righteousness received into the heart individually and collectively proclaimed in the latter rain power of the Holy Spirit will enable God's character to shine forth in his followers as a revelation of his character of love. Notice uh, from Evangelism, page 190, this message, this gospel message of righteousness was to bring more prominently before the world the uplifted Savior the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. It presented justification through faith and the surety. It invited the people to receive the righteousness of Christ, which is made manifest in obedience to all the commandments of God. This is the message that God commanded to be given to the world. It is the third angel's message, which is to be proclaimed with a loud voice and attended with the outpouring of his spirit in a large measure. The righteousness of Christ, notice how it's defined, made manifest in obedience to all the commandments of God. This is Revelation 14, 12. So let's quickly summarize. Justification by faith in the book of Revelation is focused on the end time. It appears in the message to Laodicea, the good news of the prophecies of Daniel being fulfilled in Revelation 10, and especially in the three angels' messages. The gospel has never changed because God never changes. It's his gospel, his message of good news, focused on the work of Jesus, dying for us on the cross, his righteousness credited to us in heaven and imparted to us through his presence, living in us, writing the law in our hearts. Through justification, God declares us righteous and what he declares to be so, his word accomplishes in us as we surrender our will to him. That is why Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. In order, Paul says, that the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Justification by faith underlies every part of the three angels' messages because at the heart of these messages is knowing God, knowing his character, knowing his law, and worshiping him in spirit and truth. Those who reject these messages reject the Bible-based message of justification by faith. In theory, perhaps they believe it, but in reality, they refuse to experience it because they refuse Jesus, saying in their hearts, we will not have this man to reign over us. The commandments of God and the faith of Jesus are inseparable. Because Jesus is the living exemplification of, this, of the law. You can't separate him from his law. He, he's, it's one and the same. His life is the exemplification of the law. His love is the exemplification of the law. If we have Jesus, then, in our hearts, we have his law. If we don't have his law written in our hearts, we don't really know Jesus, or at least we don't know him fully. May each of us surrender ourselves to that wonderful work of letting the light of Jesus, the light of his love and truth, shine through us to the world. Then the everlasting gospel of Revelation 14, which is the message of justification by faith, will produce the people who keep the commandments of God, the faith of Jesus, and prepares them for his return. May each one of us be among that number.
well, as I promised. There is a special gift that uh, I have. Uh, it was mentioned earlier that one of my interests was Adventist history. And so I have produced uh, a study guide that kind of is a companion to this uh, seminar um, dealing with the message of 1888. And Justin, maybe you could say a little bit more about how they can obtain that. Oh, sorry, not Justin, Curtis. Absolutely. Uh, so in the chat, uh, you'll see I've just posted a link to Dropbox there that will allow you to access the um, article there that Dr. Walleen wants to make available to each of you. So if you click on that link, you'll be able to download the um, document that he's uh, so graciously shared with us here. And so we really appreciate that and also for the just the amazing uh, presentation that you've shared here, Dr. Walleen. Uh, we do have a few questions here. Our time is running out, so I'm just going to go right into those. That's fine. Uh, so we have our first question uh, here. Could you comment on the difference between faith in Jesus and the faith of Jesus? Is it fair to say Jesus had faith? which is referred to in Revelation 14, 12. So I don't know if, if the question is clear. Yeah, I think the question is clear enough. So in Revelation 14, 12, it refers to the faith of Jesus, which um, in the, the syntax of the Greek language could mean faith in Jesus, or it could mean Jesus' faith, faith of Jesus, um, because faith means believing, right? So... How do we believe? Of course, we believe in Jesus, so it, it does uh, imply that. But because it is a tested faith, here is the patience or patient endurance of the saints. It, it, I believe, refers to the same faith that Jesus expressed when he was here on earth. A tested faith, a faith that endures, a faith that believes uh, God to the end and, and will not let go of him. Very good. Excellent. Our next question is, is the third cup or is the cup in the third angel's message the same as Christ's cup in the Garden of Gethsemane? I think, um, well, if you look at Revelation chapter 17, it, it describes uh, Babylon um, the Great as a woman. And notice in verse 4, Revelation 17, verse 4, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. This is actually an allusion to, you might remember in the book of Daniel, there was a feast on the night that Babylon fell and that Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, commanded that the vessels of the temple that had been uh, taken from Jerusalem, uh, the vessels of the temple were used for that uh, banquet party, and they poured wine in them to drink from. And this was, of course, a blasphemous use of, of God's vessels from the sanctuary. So what it means is, that, you know, the, the cup here, it's, it's the cup of, of God's sanctuary. It's a, it's a true cup, golden cup, but it's filled with, with false doctrine, false gospel, false ideas. So it has on the outside the appearance of truth, but on the inside, it's that which will um, damage us and, and damage our judgment, uh, cause us to become intoxicated and um, enticed into sin. Okay, our last question here. And just again, I've reposted that uh, link in Dropbox in the chat. So if you go to the chat section uh, in your uh, browser there, uh, there's chat and polls. So click on the chat, scroll down to the bottom, and you'll see a Dropbox link. You click on that, and you'll be able to download uh, Dr. Walleen's free gift here. Uh, our last question before we close here, uh, could you comment on Romans 3, verses 3 and 4, and if this verse has any bearing on the understanding of the first angel's message? Okay, well, Romans, uh, of course, uh, we read from chapter 1, the gospel of God, verse 1, the just shall live by faith, which is the power of God to salvation. 
Revelation 1, 16 and 17, which is from faith to faith. Um, Romans chapter 1 deals with uh, those who reject God's righteousness. And chapter 2 also, even the Jews uh, reject his righteousness. They do the same uh, deeds that they condemn. That's toward the end of chapter 2. And then when we come then to chapter 3, verse 1, uh, Paul says, what advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them, that's to the Jews, were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? And, and Paul has said in chapter 1, the Gentiles don't believe. They, they reject God's righteousness. In chapter 2, even the Jews who claim to uh, have the law and believe the law, they break the law. And so the question is, will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Verse 4, certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. So um, this is, of course, uh, a quotation from the Old Testament, where uh, Paul is referring to God uh, being of course, in his judgment, he's going to be justified. He's going to be shown righteous when he executes judgment. And that will be an opportunity for us when we, according to Revelation 20, verse 4, sit and reign with Christ a thousand years. Judgment will be committed to us. We'll have the opportunity to review the decisions of the judgment going on now that Revelation 14, verse 7 refers to, because we're not there now. We don't have, you know, it's happening, it's taking place, we know that, but we don't see the results of that, the, the decisions, except we know our own verdict because we, uh, as I mentioned, we, we have been justified and by faith we know that, that there will be acquittal in the end for us because we, we maintain that um, relationship of justification by faith. So um, it's connected in that respect that we, Yes, God will be justified through the process of judgment, and we will see that uh, going forward. Actually, there are three phases of judgment. Maybe I'll just go into this in a little more detail since we have another minute or two. Um, there are three phases, basically, of the judgment. The phase going on now in heaven, because when Jesus comes, Revelation 22 says, uh, "He had my reward is with me. Verse 12, to give everyone according as his work shall be. So if Jesus comes with his reward, the harvest of the, both the righteous and the wicked, as we saw in Revelation 14, is done, that means the judgment is finished. That's what Revelation 22, verse 11, refers to when it says, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is righteous, let him be righteous still. So um, those who are lost are destroyed like Sodom was destroyed by fire when Jesus comes. Those who are saved are caught up with him. They reign in heaven with him a thousand years, review the results of the judgment. And then Revelation 20 refers to the, um, at the end of the chapter, refers to the final phase of judgment where the great, right, great white throne is raised up and everyone sees, even the wicked who are raised see that God was just and confess his justice. So this will be uh, sort of fulfilled in, in three stages. The angels right now see God's justice through the investigative judgment. The saved during the millennium will see God's justice and fairness in judgment. And even the lost, even those who have clung to sin and will be destroyed with it, will confess in the end. As Paul says in Philippians 2, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is just and true. Okay. Well, Dr. Walleen, I'm going to just, uh, on behalf of those viewers that have joined us this afternoon, just thank you again. Uh, I'm just reading from the chat here. Many people just uh, thanking you not only for the, uh, that you have so generously shared with us, but also for just the material that you've presented here, um, just very timely. And uh, as we can see with everything that's going on right now in Earth's history, 
uh, extremely timely in what you've shared uh, with us this afternoon. So very grateful. So well, I'm I would just God, like to God. encourage each one to, uh, all right. Well, we're just uh, going to close here with a prayer and uh, just invite you to bow your heads with me as we, we pray. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for the message of the everlasting gospel that you've given us in Revelation 14. Lord, we're grateful for the, really the invitation, privilege that you've given us to uh, just be part of taking this message to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And we're just grateful, Lord, as well, for what you want to do in us and through us and what you're doing for us, even now in the heavenly sanctuary. So, Father, uh, we just want to pray that as we just uh, consider uh, the, the things that we've learned uh, this afternoon, Dr. Walling's uh, message to us, I just pray that you would help us to be even more convicted of the importance of keeping our eyes fixed on you and that you would guide us through as we look forward to your soon return. We ask this in your name. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.